Hello, I'm Jordan Rich, welcoming you to the Amy Lynch Investigations Podcast with author P.K. Norton. Here we talk about the origins of Amy's adventures, how they grew out of people and events in Paula's own life, and how much fun the author has had in putting it all together. We have had so much fun digging into the life of Amy Lynch and the adventure she's on. We have a new book to talk about with the author, Paula Norton, P.K. Norton. It's called Direct Elimination. Boy, you come right to the punchline when you when you deal with <laughs> titles. I mean, it, it, dead drop, deep secrets, direct. Also, a lot of Ds, I've noticed. Is that just uh, an accident? It started out as an accident. <laughs> and hard, it became a trend. Hard consonants are good, though. Yes, right? they are. Because it connotes action. It connotes oh, things. the book after this is Deadly Diamonds. Now, what's different about this experience, and uh, it's a little bittersweet, is that Jack, your beloved, who has passed, but he's still with you. Oh, yeah. Uh, wasn't physically available to be that guide that he's been. No, I had no direct input from him on this book. However... It was all inspired by him. Okay. Direct elimination is a fencing term. Oh, I was going to ask you about the title. Yes. It's a portion of a fencing tournament that works kind of like March Madness basketball, okay. eliminating people. All right. Okay. Okay. So Jack has an influence here. We talked about fencing and the fact that he was a, a real bon vivant champion of fencing and loved it yes. since his 30s, right? And he belonged to the Boston Fencing Club for a number of years. Mm-hmm. They have a tournament every year on New Year's Day, and it is called the Jack Norton Hangover Open. Oh, for, <laughs> it's named after him, but it's called the Hangover Open. Well, I wonder why. It's New Year's Day. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So th- where does this book take place? Does it take place in the Boston area? It takes place in Dorchester. Okay. For the p- occasion, I actually moved the fencing club to the old Boston Globe building on Morrissey Boulevard. Oh, love that. It's now an apartment complex yeah. or something, but that's a great building. Well, the club knew I did it. They were okay, okay. with it. Okay, okay. And it takes place in what was Jack's rental property in Dorchester. He was a landlord. Now, for those listening in other parts of the country or the world, and they are, Dorchester is a, a, a solid part of the city of Boston neighborhood, mixed ethnic backgrounds, mostly Irish, oh, Jewish yes. in the past, uh, some Italian, and uh, but now it's it's a very diverse neighborhood. Yes. Okay. All right. So we have a new story here. Amy is at it again, and uh, there has to be a claim because she's an insurance uh, investigator. What's the claim here? A fire. A fire. On New Year's Day mm-hmm. in Jack's rental property. Mm-hmm. Takes place during the hangover open. When the firemen arrive, two of them go down into the cellar, which is where the fire started, and they find a body. It's a dead fencer mm-hmm. lying on his back on the cellar floor, and he has been stabbed. Ah. Now, when you're playing at it with an IP, you don't have a sharp point. No. So this is this is murder. It is. <laughs> and when I was devising how to get this guy dead, I sat with two fencing friends in a restaurant one day. We sat there for a couple of hours working out how we're going to kill this guy and mm. what we need for a weapon because the epe wouldn't do it. And we we finally got asked to leave. I was going to say the, the wait staff might be a little concerned. <laughs> they're talking about murdering someone over there, and they're not uh, ordering their dessert yet. So. And we were acting it out. <laughs> you were acting it out. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Uh, so this is a great plot start, and uh, obviously uh, Amy is sent to investigate the fire and the issue. 
Yes, and of course, to keep it personal, yeah. this property was recently purchased by the cousin of her boyfriend, Pete. Oh. The company didn't want to insure it because it was only 50% occupied and it needed work. So her name is now Mud at the office. Ah, uh, which uh, happens to a lot of people it in does. their careers. And the next thing you know is they find the body of a baby buried in the cellar. Oh, that's, that's scary. It's deep. That's very deep. Yeah. Okay. Now, Amy is a trouble at work. Why? What, what's, what's her? Because she forced them to take on an undesirable risk to keep her boyfriend happy. Ah, so there is, we go again with character development yep. and you call it a little bit of a flaw, you know, in, in character, it makes it more interesting. Yeah, and it's only been two months since they insured the property and already there's a claim. Yes. And Amy's nemesis at work um, is spreading all kinds of rumors and innuendos about her. When you're writing about a fire, you have to do the research. So talk about who you asked for help. A friend of mine used to have coffee every morning with a group of retired firefighters. So I went and joined them one day mm -hmm. and picked their brains. What, what did you learn that was startling to you about fire? Because, I mean, most of us just have a basic working knowledge of it. I learned two things. The first one was I said, you know, so the smoke alarms go off and five, ten minutes later the fire trucks arrive. And they said, if that happened, they'd all get fired. They'd all get fired because? Because they didn't get there fast enough. Yeah. They need to be there within a minute or two. Yeah. What about the intensity of fire? What did you learn there? I learned it doubles in size every 60 seconds, and I'm still having a hard time believing that. Every minute it doubles? Yes. Incredible. And people die from smoke inhalation, but they also die from, obviously, the flames. It's a terrible way to go. Absolutely. More smoke inhalation than anything else. Okay. And this fire actually got put out very quickly. And then um, Pete's cousin who owns the property is also considered a suspect. Well, when they take a look at those fires in warehouses or abandoned buildings and they're owned by someone and they want to collect their insurance, they immediately uh, are a suspect of something, right? Absolutely. So that's and Andy's natural. kind of wishy-washy. Isn't that fun, though, to create characters that might be red herrings, even if I'm not saying Andy is, but even if they're not, uh, even though you want to be fair to the reader, you want to throw them off their game a little you bit. You do indeed. <laughs> yes. And that's part of the joy of it all. You are not a fencer yourself, but Jack was at it for many, many years. So yes. we learn a lot about fencing, I assume, in this yes. book. Yes, and so do the Boston police. The Boston police? Yes. Well, they have to interview all the fencers. Oh, gotcha. Okay. All right. What can you tell me about fencing? All I know is they wear those beautiful white suits. They look really sexy with the mask. and It's such an elegant sport. Mm -hmm. It's a gentleman's sport. Um, but the thing that fascinated me, you know how they hold their rear arm up when they're fencing? Yes, yes. The reason for that is I mean, fencing's always been illegal, but it's nowhere near as prevalent as it used to be. So most duels took place at night. Okay. The rear arm was in the rear holding a lantern so they could see what ah, they were doing. No kidding. That's really interesting. Yeah. So that's why fencers today uh, lift their arm. They do. Interesting. Just, and it, it looks good, too. And do they use uh, electronics, you know, the buzzer on the oh, shirt? It, they wire their bodies, They're yes. wired from head to toe. So it's very easy to know when somebody has been touched. What a great uh, plot point, though, no pun intended, plot device to to use it because people still have a, a very romantic view of fencing, as you pointed they out. They do indeed. 
Well, Jack would be very, very proud, and he is very, very proud of you for using that knowledge and that skill and experience. And he lets me know this. Um, one day I heard a noise in my office, and I walked in, and all of his fencing medals were on the floor in the middle of the room. Well, that's a sign. It's a message. Absolutely. I know you're a believer and have a lot of faith, and I have a lot of love for him. Uh, one more thing about the baby in the cellar. Yes. That's jarring. I mean, that's scary. It but is. It enables the the writer, in your case, to really create a backstory, doesn't it? Well, the backstory is the best part of this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amy will discover the backstory and solve the case, but getting there is really the fun. So it's called Direct Elimination. Let's have you read just the first page or so to give people a taste. Okay. Two fire trucks screeched to a halt in front of the six-family dwelling at 12 Chadwick Street in the Dorchester section of Boston. A police car followed close behind. Flames were shooting out of the cellar and first-floor windows of the old wooden three-decker. Thick black smoke clouded the air, The blare of smoke alarms, combined with loud popping sounds, like fireworks, created a cacophony which competed with the sirens for attention, disturbing the peace of the chilly January afternoon, the first day of the new year. A crowd of onlookers stepped aside as firefighters jumped from their vehicles. Some rushed to attach a hose to the nearby hydrant, others dashed up the front steps. The door was unlocked, but stuck less than halfway open. One of the men gave it a mighty kick and pushed with his heel. The door splintered and sagged. They finished demolishing the door, shoved the pieces aside, and ran inside the house. One of them to the cellar, two to the first-floor apartments, one up the stairs. The blaze was extinguished before it had a chance to spread beyond the left-hand apartment on the first floor. Once the hubbub quieted down, a voice bellowed from the cellar. Get down here quick. You guys got to see this. As the men clomped down into the cellar, each in turn, stopped short and stared. A young man in a white fencer's gear lay before them, epée in hand, the front of his jacket covered in blood. Well, that's terrific. Direct elimination. Uh, Amy keeps on rolling strong. In the next episode, we're going to talk about what's to come. There is a future for her, maybe just not on the written page alone, maybe on the big screen. Who knows? That would be nice. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Amy Lynch Investigations Podcast, available for subscription and download on all major podcast platforms. Paula and Amy would certainly appreciate you reviewing and rating this podcast. And don't forget to find out more at pknortonauthor.com. Also check the Facebook page, P.K. Norton. This is Jordan Rich thanking you for joining us on this adventure.